Good morning. Morning, brothers. Morning, sis. Morning, everybody. Great to be with you this morning. We are continuing our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I, I hope that you uh, are realizing uh, that the prayer, a point of prayer, is not what a lot of people think it is, which is to basically have God give you things that you want. I hope we're realizing that that is not the point of prayer. Matter of fact, the point of prayer is not to, not to get God to give you what you want. And if you think that's the main point of prayer, the irony is that you get very little out of prayer. Prayer is very effective for those who don't come into prayer hoping that prayer is a way of God to give you things. So what is the point of prayer? The point of prayer is we've been saying for the last couple of weeks to center on God. It's to get our hearts back, if you will, into its true orbit. That's what prayer is. If a moon were to leave its orbit, it would crash and burn. And it's the same with our hearts. If our hearts were to leave our true orbit, the orbit of centering our hearts and our souls and our minds on God, the same thing happens except only spiritually and cosmically. We crash and we burn. And so the, the, the point of prayer is to make God central again. That's why it's what hallowed be your name. You're central. Your kingdom come. You're central. Your will, as we'll see today, be done. You, God, be at the center. The prayer is making God central. And let's be clear, it's not just saying that God is central or affirming that God is central, but it is making him central. That's the hard work of prayer. So pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. Pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. God blesses that. So we make God central in our thinking in prayer by recollecting and remembering who he is and what he's done. We make him central in our feelings and our affections by rejoicing in and drawing on the sweetness of who he is and what he has done. And we make God central in our planning, in our priorities, in our lives by rethinking our needs, our wants, and our problems in light of who he is and what he has done. And I'll talk more about this next week, but this is why to me, Scripture and prayer go hand in hand. Scripture and prayer go hand in hand. I'll talk more about that next week. So what the Lord's Prayer does, as we're seeing, is that it, it, it helps us center on God, doesn't it? It, 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 it enables us to bring our hearts back, if you will, into our true world. But in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us what is at the center of God's heart, his desires, his wants, his priorities, his wishes, what he delights in, what he's about in the world, in the city, in your life. In the Lord's Prayer, he gives us an order to make God central again. It's about God. It's about God. It's about God. And as we've seen, even our needs are about God, about God, about God. We need to follow the order or we rip up the fabric of prayer, miss out on the incredible blessing that God has for us. So what we've been doing every week is going through the Lord's Prayer and we read it together. And I don't have a ton of time today. I will not actually take time to go back to what we talked about, okay? We're going to, because we have a lot to cover today as we come to our third petition. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. And I'm going to take my time with this. Our Father in heaven. Man, that's who I'm praying to. It's an invitation to intimacy. I'm, I'm praying to my Father in heaven. He's not my boss. But if I perform well, you know, he sort of proves of what I do. But if I don't, I'm in trouble. No, he's my Father. And I'm unconditionally loved and accepted as a son, as a daughter. He invites me. My Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Let your name and renown, God, be the desire of my heart. And everything that I do, may I glorify, may I magnify your name. Not like a microscope that takes tiny little thing and, and makes it bigger. No, like a telescope that brings massively big things into view. I want my life, everything about it, to display to the world just how great you are. Right? Hollow your name. Then your kingdom come. I'm going to talk about that in a bit. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So last week we talked about the second petition, which was what? Let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Remember, remember, these petitions are what? They're soft commands, right? I was talking to Constance this week. She said, she said Pastor Peter, it's been life sort of paradigm shifting to realize like it's a command. We are commanding God. This is not a, a, a kind of a scary, you know, kind of a weak, would you? No, it's just saying, God, do it, do it. But it is passive in its uh, uh, verb, which means what? God, let it be done, right? Let it be done. Only you can do it, God. So let it be done. So let your kingdom come. What is in that petition? <laughs> we are rebelling against the status quo. That's what we said last week. When we say, let your kingdom come, we are rebelling against the disorder of the world, if you will. We saw last week that when God created the world, he didn't create a world filled with injustice and racism and sickness, death and disease and hunger. God hates oppression. God hates injustice. God hates poverty and pain and suffering. And the good news that Jesus Christ came proclaiming was what? In him, God came in flesh to do something about it. And all of history heading towards a climactic ending where God is going to establish his kingdom, that is his rule, his reign over all creation, where he's going to rule without rival, destroy Satan and along with him evil and justice and sin and make everything new. And when we're saying, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, do that now. God, do that here. In my life, in this city, and in the world, God, reverse the effects of sin, restore broken humanity, and come rule with that rival in all the earth. Prayer is a frontal assault on the evil one. 
and the kingdom that he is attempting to establish in rebellion against the kingdom of God. Do not underestimate the power of prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better our world will be. The more praying there is in the world, the mightier the forces against evil. We do violence against sin, injustice, poverty, and racism when we pray. We invade enemy territory. Hello? Set the oppressed free and push back forces of darkness when we pray. We experience God's glorious future in the present. Heaven, hello somebody, touches down to earth when we pray. Let your kingdom come. That prayer is a part of the process by which all this happens. To pray, let your kingdom come, is rebellion against that goal. But it's also what? It's also a prayer that his kingdom will grow in and through our lives. To pray, let your kingdom come. Pray, let your kingdom come is to allow the kingdom rule and reign to grow in and through us. We pray for God's kingdom to come. Then we rise from our knees, church, to meet the challenge. Okay? When we pray, let your kingdom come, we are committing ourselves to manifesting his rule and his reign in our world. It's saying the prayers of Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Here am I. Send me. God, use me. Now, this is the work only you can do, but God, use me to the work that only you can do. King Jesus, through me, make yourself real. Make your kingdom rule and reign real, God, in my part of the world. Make me an instrument of your peace, of your justice, of your compassion, mercy, love, and righteousness. Let your kingdom come through me. And most importantly, I say, well, let your kingdom come in me. When we pray, let your kingdom come, we're asking God to expand the rule and reign of God in the territory of our hearts and our lives. Please don't be casual about praying this. Do not be casual about saying, let your kingdom come. Because it's one thing to acknowledge a king. It's quite another to allow yourself to be ruled. You know what kingdom people assume? Kingdom people assume that God has a right to interrupt your life. I'm going to say that again. Kingdom people assume, because he's king, he's Lord, that God has the right to interrupt your life. When you enter the kingdom, you gave him the right to help himself to your life anytime, anywhere he wants. Remember, I said this last week. We got to change. This is a major paradigm shift. This is why I really don't like the phrase, invite Jesus into your heart. Because we think that when we do that, it's inviting him into my kingdom. When in fact... The truth is what? We are delivered from our kingdom to the kingdom of the Son in whom we love. Don't treat him like a consultant. He's not interested in helping you and me manage our kingdom, manage our goals. 
He's not interested in being a part of our kingdom at all. Let God have your life. He could do way more with it than you can. Let God have your life. He could do so much more with it than you can. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Then we get to the third petition. If you thought that was hard, it's now let your will be done on earth. I don't know if you could hear that, but there, there's like four people here who are going, oh boy, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and what are we asking? How is God's will done by the angels in heaven? I'll tell you how his will is done. Perfectly, immediately, completely, and joyfully. And we're saying, God, do that here. Now, there's a wonderful, amazing news in that, right? Like, imagine our city and the world where God's perfect will, hello, is being done. It's amazing. But it's also incredibly what challenging to say, let your will be done starting with me in my life. If this prayer petition scares you, that means you're taking it seriously. Okay? Because this is the prayer I think we most want to circumvent, avoid, ignore. The reason is because there's a battle waging inside of you right now. There's a battle waging inside of me right now. It wages the moment you wake up and every second of your wake until you go to sleep. And the battle is, am I going to do my will today? Or am I going to do his will today? Is today going to be about my kingdom building? My name being known? My plans and priorities being advanced? Or is it going to be about his kingdom and his rule and his reign? Is my prayer an effort to convince God to grant my desires? Or is my prayer an effort for God to plant his desires in me? See, the order, your will literally comes right before our petitions of give me because Jesus is reminding us that the whole purpose of prayer, don't miss this, is not that we would bend God's will to ours, but that we would melt and soften our will to conform to his will. You know what prayer is? This is why prayer is hard. In prayer, you put your heart, your will, like metal into a fire. You put your will and your heart into the fiery furnace of God's love and God's truth until it becomes soft, malleable, so that it can be shaped into the same will as God's will. The order of prayers that before I get to my needs and my wants and my desires, Father, your will be done. Thomas Watson, 17th century pastor said this about what it means to pray, your will be done. You ready? 
it means to say, I will obey everything you say in your word, whether I agree with it or not. And I will accept everything you send into my life, whether I understand it or not. Your will be done. Do you know why we struggle with this prayer? I'll tell you why we struggle with this prayer, among a number of reasons. We struggle with this prayer because this prayer gets to the heart, among other things, of two lies, illusions that you and I hold very dearly. Do you know what that is? The first illusion is, I know better than God. I'm going to tell you right now, that's why you're anxious. That's why you're worried. Come on. Those aren't feelings you can't help. You're like, oh, I'm a, no, they're feelings you can help. The reason why you and I are anxious and worried and angry sometimes is because you're going, I know better than God, and I'm afraid he's just not going to get it right. We do need to be delivered. See, see, second delusion is what? I am in control of my life. And we need to be healed from both. But the way to be healed from both, and the only way to be healed from both, is the most counterintuitive thing for a human being to do. Do you know what that is? It's surrender. Surrender. Of all my years of pastoring, my friends that are in 12-step programs know this better than anybody. You know what the truth they've discovered? The truth they've discovered is this, is that when you set your heart only on doing God's will, you will forever be truly free. The only way to freedom is surrender. Counterintuitive, right? Only way to surrender is to say, let your way be done. Um, I said to the folks that are gathered here, I'm going to take two weeks on this third petition. Is that all right? Because there's too much here. Matter of fact, I've been stressed out because each petition, I always walk away going, I should have spent two weeks on that. By the way, that doesn't mean that it's going to be any shorter today, okay? It's going to be two weeks Okay? But it's going to be full. It's going to be robust. I'll tell you what, it's going to be two parts. Okay, Because there's so much here, but I hope you are excited about the fact that we're going to unpack this. Now, before we get into, before I get into what it means to pray this prayer, let's begin here. Why should we pray this prayer? Among other things, I'll tell you why. This is what Jesus was about. Your will be done was what Jesus was about. We talk a lot about discipleship in our church. Discipleship. We want to follow Jesus. And as we constantly remind you guys, we don't just want to follow his teaching. We want to follow his life. We don't want to just follow what he taught. We want to follow the way he lived, right? And the way he lived embodied this prayer. Let your will be done. Now, immediately you and I think of the moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, that's the most profound and most well-known way in which we hear him doing that. But it actually started when he was 12 years old. <laughs> we don't have time to dig into all the scriptures, okay? 12 years old. What are you talking about, Pastor? Do you remember? He's 12 years old. And his entire family has gone to Jerusalem for the Passover, right? And they all, of course, come back home, back to Nazareth. 
And it's when they're on their way, they realize that where's, where's Jesus? Where's our 12-year-old son? So Mary, of course, backtracks and goes back to Jerusalem, finally finds Jesus in the temple, listening to and questioning the elders. And Mary says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, to which Jesus replied. Do you remember? Luke 2, 49. Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I had to be up at my father's business? Mary, that's what I'm about. My father's business. Jesus is 30 years or so. Keep going. He's near the village of Sychar in Samaria. And Jesus' disciples are concerned that he hasn't anything, eaten anything for a while, right? So they come and say, Rabbi, eat something to which Jesus says, I have food that you know nothing about. And because they're going, who fed him? Who, who, who brought him some food? And Jesus says in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work, that's my food. That's what sustains me. Think about that for me. What sustains me more than food, more than water, is what? Doing his will. Here's another. He's teaching in a city. He's told that his mother and brothers are standing outside the house wanting to speak to him because they think he's gone cuckoo, okay? They think he's lost his mind. So they tell somebody, say, hey, tell Jesus that mother and brothers are here. To which Jesus says in Matthew 12, 48, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother, here are my brothers. Verse 50, for whoever does the will of my father, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my mother. I could keep going, right? And Matthew 26, 39, in the shadow of the cross, his sweat dropping like blood. And he says, my father, if it possible, may this cup be taken from me, cup of suffering, yet not as I will, but as what? You will. The writer of Hebrews says this of Jesus. Hebrew 10, 7. Then I said, this is Jesus, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Jesus lived his entire life from this posture of what? Your will be done. Do you know why you and I say amen at the end of our prayers? Do you know what the word amen means? Kids, if you're listening today, right? I taught a little bit about why you say in Jesus' name. Amen is not kind of like a sign-off, right? <laughs> like, that's all, God. No, no. What does the word amen mean? It literally means what? Let it be so. Let it be in accordance with the will of God. Jesus was the embodiment or personification of the word what? Amen. So much so in Revelation 3.14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen that is Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Why do we want to say this? Why is this very important? It's what Jesus was about. Now, what does it mean then to pray your will be done? 
Right? This is where I'll spend the rest of the time this morning. And again, we'll unpack some more of this next week. Here's, here's, here's the first one. To pray your will be done, first, is daily recognition of the sovereignty of God. Okay? To pray your will be done is daily. Here's the reason why it's daily. You don't surrender a life in an instant. That which is lifelong, as someone said, could only be surrendered in a lifetime. So it's a daily thing. You don't do this once. It's an every single day thing that you and I do for the rest of our lives. Jesus is saying, here's how prayer works. Don't come with, I need these things, until you get your heart to a place where you can say, but you know what I need. Don't say, I need these things, until you first say, but you know. Father, what I need. Prayer is a way of surrendering to his sovereign kingship. Prayer is a way of saying, I don't know what I need, but you do. And Father, you promise to supply all of our needs. That means that what we don't have now, we don't need now. And you never deny us our heart's desire except to give us something better. That's what it means to say, your will be done. Can I just share something? The older I get, the more I want to pray this prayer. Do you know why? Because the older I get, the more I realize I don't know how to make life work. Young people, are you listening? The older I get, I don't, I don't know how. To, look, life is way more complex than I thought. The older I get, the more I realize I'm prone to self-deception and denial. There's a time when I thought I knew, like in my 20s and 30s. But when I look back, anybody else relate to this? When I look back on some of the most critical turning points in my life, I am so thankful that my will was not done. Come on, somebody. I look back at some of the most critical moments of my life and I thank God that he didn't answer my prayers. Hey. Thank God for unanswered prayers, right? And by the way, if you want a good example of this, read the story of Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, who asked God, God, give me 15 more years. And God said, all right. But in those additional 15 years, he would father the most wicked and corrupt king in the history of Judah. Position his kingdom to be plundered by the Babylonians. And he ended up dying with his heart lifted up in pride. If Hezekiah knew as God did that all those things were going to happen, I think Hezekiah may have added these words at the end of his prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? But yours be done. What we perceive as unanswered prayers are often the greatest answers. God is far too wise, hello, far too loving to give us everything we ask for. I'm telling you, someday you and I are going to thank God for the prayers that he didn't answer as much as even more so than the prayers that he did. I love this quote by Helmut Thielke, a German theologian. In the last analysis, we know very little about our real needs, about what we lack and what we need, so we often pray for foolish things. And what we need is something totally different. I love what he says. Look, we are naked, and instead of praying for clothing, we pray for bonbons. We are imprisoned by certain passions, and instead of praying for freedom, we pray for a Persian rug for ourselves. 
so often we pray for senseless things that have no relation to our real needs. And the reason is that we do not know the deepest needs and wants and necessities of our life at all. Does that offend you? Uh, look, I'm not pick look, it's rare that I meet someone in their 20s, sometimes 30s, who just have this posture. I'm talking about Christians who say, God, I don't know what I need. I, I don't know. Maybe it's an age thing. Maybe it's I'm not saying all 20. No, I meet some 20, 30, or sometimes they're like, wow, you are like light years ahead of where I was. But it's rare. I think maturity is knowing what you don't know as much as knowing what you do know. It's kind of like spiritual maturity. I've said this. The holier you become, the more sin you see in yourself. Do you know that? The more mature you become spiritually, the more you see areas of growth and say, God, help me. See, I see an invitation from Jesus in this petition. Okay? I know what Jesus is saying when he says, pray, your will be done. He's saying, Lay down, child, this horrible, crushing burden of thinking you know better. Lay it down. And get in touch with not just the fact that he's your father, but <laughs> you're his child. Do you know which children are the closest to the father's heart? The ones who know that they're children. It's the ones who don't insist that they know it all. The ones who say, God, I'm just a child, I, so I trust you. And ironically, then they're not children anymore. They're on their way to adulthood. Don't just get in touch with the fact that he's great. Get in touch with the fact of your humanity, with your limitations. Be honest with God. Say, Lord, I feel like I know what's best. That's why I'm angry. That's why I'm anxious. That's why I'm scared. I'm just scared that you're not going to get things right. But your will be done. Not mine. You're finally getting touch with reality. You're recognizing your limits as a human being. You're having your perspective healed. You're laying down finally this terrible crushing burden of, I know it all and I'm in control. That's the only way to get deep rest though for your soul. To pray your will be done is daily recognition of the sovereignty of God. Secondly, to pray your will be done is daily recognition that our wills must be submitted to his will. Prayer is not about letting God know your will. I'm gonna, I can't say this enough times. Prayer is about completely submitting to him. Prayer, prayer is a process of dying to yourself. It is. We don't bend our will or God's will to meet ours. We melt and soften our will into God's. Prayers, you put your heart, your will like metal into fire. You put your heart into the fiery furnace of God's love and God's truth until it becomes soft so it can be shaped into the same shape as God's will, which means, listen, listen, which means at the time when you most need to pray, your will be done is not when things are going well. The time where you most need, because anybody can say that when things are going well. The time in which you and I need to pray, your will be done, is when things are going poorly. It's when your plans are not working out. It's when what God seems to be doing in your life makes absolutely no sense to you. 
It's when things are happening that's the opposite of what you would like to see happen. It's when she says no, that door closes, and your three to five year plan gets blown up. That is when you and I need to lean in and saying your will be done. Why? Here's why. If you try to bend a piece of metal into the shape it ought to be, but it hasn't gone through the fire, it hasn't been softened, made malleable, what happens to that metal? It'll break. Some of you are in the fire right now. You're in the fire right now, and you have a choice. You could submit, surrender, and say, your will be done. And, listen, allow the fire of God's spirit to soften you to melt you, to mold you into the shape of his will. Or you can become bitter and angry and resentful and never learn the responses your father wants you to learn for you to become the kind of person he wants you to be. How long does it take to pray this prayer? It all depends. What does it depend on, Pastor Peter? On where you are with your heavenly father. Depends on you. Look at Jesus. Jesus recognizes what God's will is, and he struggles, but he says what? I'm going to stay on my knees until I can say, not my will, but yours be done. The length of your prayer is not determined by the willingness of your God. The length of your prayer should be determined by the condition of our hearts. So let me ask you, what areas are you struggling to pray this right now? What area of your life are you struggling to say your will be done? Do you, do you know what's really silly to me? Christians actually walk around thinking that God can't do his will in that area because we're not letting him. I'm talking to you. We actually think that God can't get to that because we're just not letting him. Whatever it is that you're willing, unwilling to surrender, if you think that the reason that God can't get at that is because you haven't surrendered it, if you think that you could withhold that area from God by decision, your God is this big. You underestimate who he really is because if God wanted to, he can take it at any time. The fact that he hasn't is because of his grace, of his patience with you. Because do you know what he wants more than that thing that you're unwilling to give? Your heart. Your heart. It's not what's in your hand. It's your heart. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. God is not. It's what it represents. And what it represents is your heart. All of you. And when Jesus died on the cross, how much of you did he die for? Not some of you. All of you. What are you unwilling to surrender and saying, God, your will be done here. 
He wants your heart. You know what I don't think is the greatest tragedy? And why, why we miss, we miss out when we, when we don't relinquish and surrender. It's, it's, here's what we miss out on. This comes right after what? Your kingdom come. God's at work. Always. Amen. Advancing his kingdom. God is an incredible kingdom agenda in motion right now in your neighbor, in your coworker, in your neighborhood, in your city. But, but Pastor Peter, they don't go to church. God can't work because they don't go to church. God is at work, always drawing people, wooing people, and working people's lives. And he wants to use you and me. God wants to do something through you. God has a kingdom mission assignment for you. Listen, we don't choose what we will do for God. Please get this. We don't choose what we're going to do for God. God invites us to join him where he wants to involve us. And here's the thing. God will wait. God will often wait for you and me to get to a place where we're saying, God, your will be done. It's when we're aligned, aligned, aligned to his purposes and his will that God could pour out his spirit and demonstrate his power through you to fulfill kingdom purposes. There's a group of people who through prayer got aligned, that's what prayer does, got adjusted to God's purposes, and as a result changed the world. Do you know who they are? It's what? Acts chapter 1. Do you remember Acts chapter 1? Jesus tells disciples, don't go anywhere or do anything, but wait, wait for the promised Holy Spirit. So the disciples wait in the upper room praying, and just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit is poured out on those in the upper room who are praying, and filled with the Spirit, they go out into Jerusalem, where there are over 250,000 people from all over the world who came that week to do what? You'll be my witnesses in Samaria, Judea, and to the earth. And you need to get this. The prayer of the people, please get this, didn't induce the Holy Spirit to come. Do you know why? Because Jesus told them <laughs> what was going to happen. Holy Spirit coming was not dependent on them praying. Jesus said in Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What did prayer do? It aligned them. It adjusted them. It brought them to a place where finally they were ready to participate in the work God had prepared in advance for them to do. Prayer doesn't give you spiritual power. Prayer aligns your life with God so that he could demonstrate his power through you. Well, why does he do that? So he gets the glory. So that his name will be hallowed. Man, through you, kingdom power is released when we are aligned to him. You want to you know the secret to a spiritually powerful life? Here it is. In prayer, get aligned. Just get aligned. He'll demonstrate his power through you when you're aligned to him. He'll change lives through you when you're aligned to him. He will answer prayers through you when you're aligned to him. 
He will change our city when we're aligned to him. You will gain clarity and direction for your future when you are aligned to him. Get aligned. Get aligned. If followers of Jesus around the world were to suddenly renounce their personal agendas, life goals, their aspirations, and began responding in radical obedience to everything God showed them, our world would be changed. How do you know, Pastor Peter? It happened in the first century, and it could happen again. Prayer. No secret to this. Not some secret magic. It brings you to a place of surrender, of alignment. Lastly, to pray your will be done is daily recognition that God is all we need. You know, before we, uh, before I preach today, we, we spend the time praying and my brother Cece said something, prayed something that, that just was specific what I was talking about. He said, in this season of sacrifice, help us to sacrifice. And I realized the sacrifice that God wants ultimately from you is what? Is you. All of you. Your will. Let me just illustrate this. This is my story, Genesis 32. Anybody familiar with Genesis 32? That's Jacob, story of Jacob. Jacob is a man full of self-pity. He spends most of his life lying, cheating, fighting. He's always fighting this guy, right? He's fighting his brother for birthright. He's fighting his dad for his affections. He fights his uncle for the wife he wants, for the career. Constantly fighting, constantly cheating, constantly. By the way, by the way, can I just... <laughs> Bible is full of people like this. There are no perfect people in the Bible, Okay. <laughs> Christianity is not religion. Christianity doesn't go, look at all these amazing people. Be like them. There are no people to model in the Bible except Jesus. The Bible is a story of how God's grace breaks into your life despite you and uses you. That's the story of the Bible. And one night, Jacob is out in the desert alone. Do you remember? And a mysterious stranger pounces on him and begins to what? Wrestle with him all night. And Jacob wrestles back. At a certain point, Jacob realizes who he's wrestling with. He realized this is not an ordinary man, right? Jacob realizes this is what? God he's wrestling with. And all of a sudden, his life flashes before him. And I don't know who this is for. Jacob realizes that his entire life, he's actually been angry at God. Who am I talking to? His entire life, he's been angry at God. His entire life, he felt God's not giving him the blessing that he deserved. And what about his father or his uncle, his wife, his career? He had to scheme and struggle his entire life to get the wife he wants, the career he wants, the goals he wants. And he's miserable, right? Now he finally has the opportunity, he thinks, to pin God down. Finally, I'm going to get God to give me what I want, God to give me what I deserve, the blessings that I've always wanted, which is you and me, by the way. That's prayer for us. This is my opportunity to pin God down. Do you know, God, how good I've been? Do you know how many times in the last five years I've said no to temptation? Do you know how many times I've served? Do you know how much I've given? Do you know? So God, my bread, my will, it's my turn. Jacob says, I finally have the opportunity 
possibility of pinning God down. So he wrestles harder and harder and harder. And just when he thinks he's making some progress, he realizes, oh boy, this angel that I'm wrestling with hasn't even used any of his power. And suddenly, God touches his hip socket and Jacob becomes crippled. And suddenly Jacob realizes the utter foolishness of trying to wrestle God into submission to my will. It is foolish, child of God, to try and wrestle God into submission to your will. The thing is, Jacob doesn't let go, though, because there's a change in him. It's the beauty of this story, an ultimate change. Now, blinded with tears and absolutely lame, Jacob says to God, Why bless me. God responds to that, let me go. It's about daybreak, and you can't see my face. Nobody can see my face and live, right? Do you know what Jacob wanted? Finally, what's the blessing that Jacob wanted? The blessing is what? I want to see your face. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his what? Face shine up. All of a sudden, Jacob says, the blessing that I want, God, is you. I've been angry all my life. For... It's you. I want you. And God says, well, I'm going to give you a new name, right? A new name means a new identity, fundamental transformation into who he is. And God says, you'll no longer be called Jacob. You'll be called what? Israel, which literally means I've wrestled with God and triumphed. I've wrestled with God in triumph, which some of y'all are like, triumph? He's lame for the rest of his life. What do you mean by triumph? Jacob triumphs because he finally figured out what life is all about. And until you realize, like Jacob, what life is all about, you will never understand God or your faith. Life is not about getting things from God. It's about getting, say it with me, He finally realizes, all I need, God, is you. I just want you. I want to see your face. That is when he became free. And Jesus says, pray that your will be done. He's saying, I don't want you to seek things. I want you to seek me. Don't come asking for things, not because I don't care, but those things are not going to satisfy until you have me. You know what else he's saying? He's saying, I don't want your requests. I want you. Prayer, we've said from the very beginning, it's not about getting things from God. It's about getting God. The whole point of prayer, as God gave it to us in the Lord's Prayer, is to meet the greatest need of our hearts. The need for his face, him. Do you want God's heart? Or are you only interested in what's his hands? Do you want God's heart? Your will be done. 
Are you only interested in what's in his hands? My will be done. When you love the answer from God more than you love God, the answer will actually take you further and further and further away from God. And he loves you too much, child of God, to let that happen. If God is true source of life, joy, and peace, why would God give you something that would take you further away from that? He won't. Let your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. <sighs> what an incredibly difficult petition. Your will be done. But what freedom! What freedom! What freedom and life are found in those words. To say, not my will, but your will be done. Father, we ask that you would help us understand the Lord's Prayer. It's a treasure chest of infinite value, but it's also a medicine chest that will heal us of everything that ails us. Let your will be done. Help us to look at you, Jesus, the one whose ultimate prayer and life was let your will be done. In you, Jesus, may we find the strength, the courage, the wisdom, and yes, Lord, the willingness to say, Father, not my will, but yours. Jesus' name. Let it be accordance with your will.